Welcome to Grief Recovery Now podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Gorzella, your grief recovery specialist. This podcast is being produced just for you, someone who has been challenged and heartbroken over a significant and devastating loss, death, divorce, sudden life change, or the many other ways we experience grief. You will be taken on a conversational journey with me and some special guests who have come out the other side of grief and committed to small, powerful, and courageous steps that made all the difference in their lives for the better. I want to instill in you on what is possible, that joy, hope, peace, and happiness is closer than you think. While your life is forever changed, you can have a beautiful new outlook on your relationships and loss with a sense of completion that goes deep in your soul. Ready, set, now. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Charlene Gorzella, your host for the Grief Recovery Now podcast. So thrilled, grateful, thankful that you're here today. It is a crazy, crazy time in our world. And I think my podcast and the podcast specifically made for you has come as a perfect time. We're almost two years, well, a year and three quarters since I decided to do a podcast on grief recovery. And especially now, I think today in our world, there couldn't be a better time. So again, thank you for being with us today. There is a beginning of every podcast now. I started a segment called Off the Cuff with Charlene. And today we're going to talk about intangible grief. Intangible grief could be loss of trust, loss of normalcy, loss of self-worth, loss of dreams and hopes. And today, and you know what happens with intangible grief, it's hard to identify it. It's hard to share it. It's hard to work through it at times. And I know in my culture, when I was growing up, feelings were somewhat hampered. And I'd share a feeling. I remember with my mother, mom, I'm feeling this way. Oh, don't feel that way. And I think enough times you hear that, it's sort of like, and I don't want to um, disrespect PTSD, but I could feel a hesitation sometimes. Not today, because I, I did some recovery work on it some hesitation of sharing where I'm at. And sometimes I couldn't even name it until I talked to others or they shared with me. I'm like, that's it. I believe we're all together in this every day in every way. And I'm thinking about current events, the war in the Ukraine or Russia with the Ukraine and the devastation that's happening today. Things we see and hear on Facebook, Instagram, on the news. Is it happening to us, what's happening in Ukraine? No, I'm not living in a bombed out building. I'm not afraid of bombs. I'm not in a maternity ward. I'm not living in Russia where I'm protesting what's going on or believing what's going on, backing Putin and the polarity that's going on in the world, especially politics today, the movements that we've had, Black Lives Matter. I just watched Black Wall Street. And what happened at that time in Oklahoma? If you haven't seen the documentary yet, watch it. So I don't want to get into that, excuse me. And then the LGBT and all of that, even religions. There's so much polarities. I'm right, you're wrong. We're not listening. Even when we're not listened to, I think that is a form of intangible loss. The loss of being heard. So one thing about grief recovery method is they really stress us when we work with our clients, either one-on-one or in a group, that we are a heart. And I'm like, you know, putting a, making a heart with my fingers right now. I know we're on the podcast and it's audible and we're a heart with ears. And I encourage everyone, if you have someone who's talking to you, because I know we want to be heard too, is just listen and just picture yourself a heart with ears. And so I would like to, and back going back to Ukraine, I'm Polish by my roots are Polish. So I have mixed emotions going on about the war and, you know, it's devastating watching it on TV and hearing about it and just imagining what it could be like. I couldn't even imagine it because it's not happened to me. Each person has their individual experience. And at the same time, 
My mixed emotions are about there's people in Poland having signs up at the airport for the refugees and saying, I have a room for you. People in Airbnb, the leaders of Airbnb are opening up rooms and houses for the refugees. There's people in the United States and all over the world calling Airbnb and paying for rooms for the refugees. Not even, you know, they could be in Europe. They can be in the United States. The other day, and this is the last I'll, I'll, I'll be ending this soon, is I looked on Facebook and some a Facebook friend who I know said, anyone who donates to a charity, let me know and I'll send you a hat. I stand with Ukraine. So right away, I did something for the animals. I'm a big animal person. And so I donated to a, I think it was Humane Society or something like that for animals. I told the guy, sent him, you know, who I did the charity for. I swear to God, the next day I got the hat in the mail. He lives in Chicago. I believe he does. I think he does because I know him from Chicago. And I live in LA. And he overnighted it. I said, I'll be willing to pay you. He goes, no, it's my contribution. And I get chills right now. So intangible losses, grief. We get mixed emotions. And maybe we could talk about that a little bit with Jennifer, our our awesome guest today, too, about the mixed emotions and the intangible losses that can happen to huge losses. I mean, they're all significant. They're in the moment feelings. So I never say one's bigger than the other. Sometimes they're more devastating. But grief is grief, no matter how you take it. So here's my favorite portion of our podcast, and I'm going to tell you just a little bit about our guest, Jennifer Osler Bolton. Jennifer Osler Bolton bears the titles of wife, widow, mom, and stepmom. After the sudden and tragic death of her first husband, Jennifer had to learn how to navigate life with loss while raising two children and finding balance between grief and hope. Now remarried with a blended family, Jennifer has discovered that the pain of her grief became the power of her recovery. I'm going to say it again. The pain of her grief became the power of her recovery, and the promise of healing was in her persistence of believing. If you want to write that down, the promise of healing was in her persistence of believing. This is a little tip, everyone. She has a blog called Faith and Fire. Staying Faithful Through the Unexpected. And she has a podcast, too, called Lavender Dahlia. So help me welcome Jennifer Osler Bolton. Welcome, Jennifer. So much for having me here. <laughs> that was, wow. I, I, just even with that, and I know I know what it was all about. <laughs> but oh, my goodness. I, I, uh, I feel really privileged to be here and share my story. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. And as I mentioned beforehand, and I tell all our guests, that it's what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. And we're in a form of conversation. Just let loose, be yourself. I never have any notes, maybe one or two notes. I just believe in the intuitive style of of conversation. And, you know, we're just recording it. That's the big difference. I love that. I love that idea. So tell me about how it started. Even before, as you know, I saw you in Instagram and you were talking about being a widow and meeting your husband and he was supporting you in your speaking because you speak all over you and you talk, you go to widows conferences and he was there helping you go and what I got from it and how supportive your husband is to the death of your beloved husband that passed away so tragically. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's really a gift. Truly. And I do believe it takes a particular kind of soul to be able to walk into a situation of widowhood and not just widowhood, but widow with kids my late husband, he passed away in September of 2016. He was he was a firefighter here in California for Ventura County Fire. And he had gone to a fire that was actually up north in Santa Barbara County. You know, he'd gone several times. We were used to this. He would go every year. He'd be gone for weeks at a time with the wildfires of California. So it was routine for us. We didn't 
there was never any fear when he would leave, anything like that. The kids were so used to it. And he accepted an assignment. He left on a Monday night, Wednesday morning. Uh, there was an accident with the water tender, which is the fire trucks that carry all the water to the wildland fires. And the driver just, you know, lost control of the truck and it instantly killed my husband as it rolled. So um, it was, you know, he was 38 years old. He was young. Our kids were 11 and 12. We were just like coming into what I feel was probably going to be our prime. Late 30s, kids were getting older. We were starting to go on those family trips that kids actually remember because they don't remember the ones before. So it just felt like we were entering into a really sweet spot of our marriage and to have it just literally ripped away in in a moment. I didn't know where to go or what to do. I didn't know what was ahead. I had been with my husband since I was 15 years old. He was he was all I'd ever known. He was my whole life. I was 36 at the time of his accident. So more than half my life had been with him and I couldn't imagine a life without him. And his name was Ryan and there was no there was no Jennifer without Ryan. Everybody knew Jennifer and Ryan, Jennifer and Ryan, like it was just it rolled off of everybody's tongue so easily. Uh, and it it just absolutely flipped my world upside down. It was scary. It was really scary. How did you get the call? What happened? I, and what I'd like to ask, because we have listeners who have gone through it, mm. our widows and widower. And for people who haven't gone through that, take me to that day or that week. What was going on in your life? I, you know, it was a normal, normal day. I was actually on my way to work. Thankfully, it was just divinely set up for me. My my mom was actually driving me to work that day. And you know, my, my mom, she was actually my boss, but we didn't always work together. But it happened to be on the day where we were in the same office at the same time all day long. So she offered to take me into the office. I'm very particular with my phone calls. I won't answer calls from people I don't know. And I saw this phone number come through and I just you know ignored it and figured oh, it was wow. important. They would leave a message or call back. And sure enough, almost at the same time, I got the notification that there was a voice message. My phone rang again with the same phone number and I still didn't answer it. Even the second time I didn't answer it. I listened to the voicemail and it was the chief of the department and says, oh, you know, Jennifer, it's chief Lorenzen and I'm going to try you again. And that was all his message said. So I called them back and I assumed, you know, I'm sure my husband probably got hurt. You know, I was going to have to go and pick him up or do something. So I was getting ready to actually have to call in sick to work to have to go get my husband. And I actually, I can't remember the entire conversation. I can only remember pieces of it, but I can perfectly hear his voice. And he just, you know, explained to me, you know, Ryan was assigned to the Canyon fire. There was an accident with the water tender and he was killed. And I just remember in that moment, like just everything kind of stopped. And I, I just said, you're kidding, right? <laughs> like, I didn't even take it seriously. You're kidding, right? And, and he, I can't even remember after that what he said. And I don't know what I said either, but somehow my mom got the, she realized what was going on and what was happening. And I don't know how. I don't, I don't remember telling my mom. I don't remember saying the words out loud, but somehow my mom figured it out. And I told the chief on the phone because he was trying to come to my work to come and get me. And I said, I'm just, just go to my house, just go to my house. And my mom just turned the car around and we headed back home. And I, the whole way home, I remember the car was silent and it was like a 45 minute drive back to the house with morning traffic. And I, and I just remember the whole time, like, he's not dead. Like he's, he's fine. He's, he's going to come home. He can't be dead. He can't like, truly, that was what was coming out of my mouth. And when we pulled up to my house, I saw the county vehicles, one of the county vehicles parked in my driveway. And that was when I realized that like, this was not, this was not a mistake. I didn't hear something wrong. I didn't mishear the words. Like there's a chaplain standing in my driveway and I couldn't, I physically could not get out of the car. And my dad was there and He's sobbing, and I, I, I guess my mom called him again. I have no idea, but he, I, I remember sitting in the car, and my dad's trying to unbuckle me to get me out of the car, and I just kept telling my dad, like, stop, just stop touching me, stop, just leave me alone, because 
it was just so chaotic in my mind, even though there wasn't chaos happening around me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember getting out of the car and the chaplain was just, he had the most sad look on his face to have to tell me this. And I remember looking at him and and I think I said to him, like, I've, I've met you before. <laughs> like, I, It's just the things that come out when you don't realize what's going on really. And I felt so detached. And I remember asking him, does Ryan's mom know? Because she lived only a mile up the road from us. And the chief had apologized. I do remember this part. The chief had apologized for having to tell me on the phone, but it was already starting to hit the news. And that's why he had to call me. And so I knew if it's hitting the news, I know Ryan's mom keeps the news just on during her mornings. And so I remember asking the chaplain uh, if she knew. And he said, no, not yet. We just wanted to come here first. And I said, you need to go to her now. And he and my dad went to my mother-in-law's house. And from there, the whole day is just a blur from having to go and get my kids and tell my kids. And there's not a whole lot that I can actually concretely remember about that day just a couple pockets of conversation, primarily with my kids, but it was just chaos. My home turned into chaos that day and it wasn't the same, still not the same, but definitely for days, weeks, months, we could not find our rhythm at all. How did you explain it? Telling children about death, you know, as an adult, and I couldn't imagine how the, it affects your nervous system getting this kind of news. And then the shared grief with your mother, your father, the mother-in-law, Ryan's mother. And how did you tell your kids? And I'm asking you this because we have people who, we have a program that I work with, which is talking to children about death and grief. How did you go about telling them? Well, I, you know, oddly enough, before Ryan's accident, probably about a year before I went through the grief recovery method for a previous relationship that I had had in my life. And I had just struggled with letting go of, um, and I had learned in that program just about being direct when it comes to relaying the information. And when I left our house, uh, because we had decided with the chiefs and everything, we were just going to leave it, leave the kids at school while I got things kind of figured out to see how things were going to go. And so I can properly, I guess, inform the kids. But uh, they came to me and they said, do your kids have phones? And I said, yes, my daughter does. And they said, you need to go get her now. Because at that point, now his name was in the news, his picture was in the news. And so they were afraid that someone would see it and show her or she would come across it. So I had to go to their schools. And I remember first going to my daughter's school. She was 12 at the time. She was in middle school. And walking in, I had a entourage of chiefs with me and I had them pull Amanda out. And so she came in and I saw her body language. She just froze. You know, she could clearly see that something was wrong. And I knew that I had to be direct in telling her what happened. And so we walked outside the school office and I just directly, I held her face in my hands and I just, you know, I I said, baby, there was, there was an accident this morning and daddy died. And I, and it was just blunt, direct. And the only reason for the directness so there was no confusion for her yes. as the day went on. Same thing for my son. I did the exact same thing for my son, pulled him out of school, directly told him. And what was interesting was for my son, who was, he had just turned 11, like two weeks before. And when all the people were at our house and there was just so much noise going on, I stepped outside for a minute just to kind of collect myself. And he came and he sat next to me and he said, I said, mommy, is daddy really dead? And I said, yeah, but he's, he's dead. And he said, does that mean his heart will never beat again? And I said, that's correct. His heart will never beat again. And so even at 11, you know, we, we think that they can understand. And even though I told him so directly what had happened, he still had to try and process what does that actually mean? And I know for me, I don't want to say those words. I don't like the words death and died and dead. And it sounds so morbid, But I knew that having to be direct with my kids, it was going to help them later on because there wouldn't be a question of, well, where did he go? When is he going to wake up? I felt I needed to protect them from wondering and then trying to process the finality of what it actually meant. And it was difficult. It was not easy. And it's not something I would never wish that on anybody ever. And in the long, yeah, I can't even imagine how you walk through this, but thank God you did the grief recovery method. I love that you did the grief recovery method because especially with adults, it's hard enough. Children, 
I mean, like you said, I didn't know how to comprehend it. What was going on? He died. What? And then you have children when you say, and if you did do this with your children, if you had a spouse die or, or they had a friend, watch your words. It's like, like, oh, they passed away. What does that mean? They don't know. They'll create all kinds of things in their head. Went to heaven. What's heaven? That doesn't equate to dying and the directness. Mm -hmm. It helps them. So you're not softening the blow. But I, it's like I remember, and this is off the subject, but I owned a company and we had to fire people when they had to get fired, you know, because they weren't doing the job well or something or being irresponsible or whatever. And I remember this manager before she came, I hired a manager before she came. I swear it would take me two hours to fire somebody because I wasn't direct with them. And so I'd be conversing with them and it was probably more painful for them because they're trying to their college try, at least the ones I wanted to stay, would try to convince and be in denial about like what I'm trying to say because I'm like pussyfooting, not pussyfooting around, but I'm not, I mean, not using language that's direct. So this manager came in, she taught me how to fight. She goes, what you do is get someone in there. This is the two hour firing. And I told her about it afterwards. She goes, what you do is when you, someone comes in, you right away, I'm letting you go. I'm firing you. Be very direct right away. And then you get into the conversation of why, if that's the situation and all that. So you can do that at other things too. Even I think ending a friendship and, you know, we're dealing with loss here, major heart yeah. loss, identity loss, rejection. That's a loss. So thank you for doing that. And the way you talk to your children in the long run, they're going to know how to talk about death later as they go. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of myths and things children learn later on that affects them in the most negative way. More than you know, it all creates filters that aren't necessarily beneficial to us in the future. Right, right. It's not easy. It's not definitely not easy to do, but I think it does benefit everybody in the long run. Absolutely. Yeah, you got to put your big girl yeah. pants on or yeah. life pants on or your big boy <laughs> pants on and then make those decisions because I'd rather mm-hmm. run away and say, but not you can't. Exactly. Anyway, it's like there's nowhere to go but to be straight up. And yeah. that's why you yeah. live the life you live. So, and the reason why I'm saying, not saying you're doing something wrong, you're just off the mark a little bit. So, why I have this podcast is hopefully be a be- beneficial presence on the planet regarding grief and grief recovery. And Jennifer also, you know, I bring on guests who have that experience, strength and hope. And they're on this, I don't want to say other side of grief, but they're living lives beyond their wildest dreams. Yeah. Not saying you don't have issues or get sad, but you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit more expanded way of living and more fulfilling, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, I learned some, I'm, so grateful, truthfully, without it being a plug directly to grief recovery, but I'm a huge advocate for it because it taught me how to speak to my kids, especially about the things that we were going to end up talking, which we still talk about, you know, it's been five and a half years and my daughter graduated high school last June. And that was a big emotional trigger for my daughter. So even being prepared to continue to have the conversations that they're important, they're difficult, but wow, they're the depth that she and I can go because we just have learned how to, let's just say it, let's just say it. And it's ugly and it's not going to be pretty. And I'm, and there's no sugarcoating to it. And it doesn't mean that things can't be said softly or with love or with concern. I definitely don't believe in padding. I don't, I don't believe in the padding just because I just tell me what you think. Just tell me what you think, you know, like, let's just get to the heart of it all. And yes. I, I, I think I've seen it benefit my kids greatly. They're 18 and 16 now. And my son, he actually is doing his own grief work with the grief recovery program and, or the grief recovery method They're They've been in therapy. And I, the number of times a therapist has mentioned, made mention to me about just Brandon's maturity. And that's not, that's not to do any props on like me raising them. I think it's just allowing them to have conversations and we come from a, my family in particular, we come from a Christian background. And so there is a, there has been a lot of, well, don't say that or no, everything's, it's okay. He's with God. He's, you know, and it's like, no, don't say those things. Even if they're true in what you believe, that's not helpful in the moment. And so I've given my kids in a sense, permission to, and I say permission, meaning like 
what they've what they've learned in their environment is totally different than what I've taught them in my home. And that is just say the things. If if a foul word is what comes to your mind because you're mad about what happened to your dad, lay it on me. Say it. Because I'd rather see the truth of where you are right now than the performance of what you think you should be. And there's a big difference between the two and not just in Christian households, but I think even in society, we're kind of trained to lean one way or another, or I can't really say that. Or if I am a Christian, I have to be rejoicing that he's, you know, in heaven with God. And I'm I'm a very, still am a very, very faithful woman of God. But after my husband died, I wanted nothing to do with God. Like I didn't, I didn't want to have any conversation. I didn't care what he said. I didn't care what the promises were. And I didn't care what my church said. It didn't matter because even if he was happy in heaven, he wasn't with me. And that's all that I cared about. I wanted my husband with me. So allowing my kids the freedom to just say those things and to be mad at God and to be just, I don't know, just angry, like that's not really taught to our kids that is allowable to be. It's okay to be angry. That's part of your loss and your grief and part of the emotion that's normal. It's a nor- it's a normal grief reaction to be angry. Who wouldn't be? So I don't I didn't want them to stuff that. I didn't I didn't want that for them. That's great. I'm so happy that you're raising your kid children with this type of philosophy. And it helps in grief recovery. We talk about incomplete and unresolved grief. Like even your daughter mm-hmm. who's graduating, there's a sense of, I, what I heard was there was a sense of incompletion there without her dad there. Until mm-hmm. you acknowledge it, it you're going to feel incomplete. And it yeah. seems like you gave her the space to be complete with yeah, the feelings and the emotions and a significant event that's going on that she's missing. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think for, for what we have going on in our household is I remember telling my daughter when this was, it was a couple of weeks after her graduation, when it finally hit her, you know, and it didn't right away with her. Mm-hmm. And for me, it actually hit me before her graduation. When we got like the announcement and the details of the graduation, that's when it hit me. And, you know, here I am five and a half years out remarried. I, I'm happy and, and we're thriving as a family. I was on my bathroom floor sobbing over this, over the fact that her dad's not here. And thankfully, you know, with what I have learned, I knew how to go through the process. And I, I have a specialist that I reach out to, and I actually still continue to do grief work every other week, but it's just so that I can stay on top of making sure whatever is inside of me has the freedom to come out of me because I don't want to carry that with me. And I, I don't think that that's healthy for not just myself, but anybody that comes into my presence. I don't want that to come off onto anybody. But for my daughter, when it hit that couple of weeks after, I remember telling her, Amanda, these these milestones are just going to keep coming. And that's the thing with like major loss, like what she's experienced in losing her dad at a young age. I always tell her, you were old enough to remember things, old enough to remember your dad and have memories of him, but you're young enough for this to be your lifetime. You have your whole life ahead of you and you're going to run into these moments when you just want to talk to your dad or when you get engaged, when you get married, when you have a baby, all of these things that are just going to come up, you're you're just going to want your dad. And that's normal. And that's just because it may be five years out, 15 years out, however long it's going to be, that doesn't mean you're not allowed to wonder what it was going to be like if he were here. That's normal. And so that's the part I really hope that I can teach my kids. Let's just talk about it and talk it out because it's going to keep showing up. And I think I think we'd be silly to think that it never will, that it won't ever show up again. I, I think that's silly to think that. Like, that's what I would tell my my kid because I just don't want them to feel like, well, wait a second, I, but I've been doing so good. So why is this hurting me now? And that that's normal. Grief isn't linear. You know, there's no line to follow. There's no way it's supposed to look. And it, we're going to be up and down all the time. I think anybody with big loss is always going to feel that. Yeah. And as we get older, we have this mosaic of life, these different emotions that come happy, sad, grieving. Grief is a sacred space mm-hmm. when you're in the heart, in your heart with the grief. Your grief is yeah. not in, in your intellectual, even mm-hmm. though you need your mind and your heart to talk to each other, to recognize. And grief recovery, I feel it changes your neural patterns. I'm not a scientist mm-hmm. or anything. But once you start practicing these things, just like, oh, I'm feeling grief. 
my, my whole being is full of, you know, I'm grieving today, but you're feeling fully you're in life. A lot of people, when they're not grieving in a wholehearted way, sometimes we'll hamper our grief. Let me have a drink. Let me go do something. Let me do a short-term energy relieving behavior. And what short-term energy relieving behavior is, let me shop. Let me eat. Let, give me that sugar. Let me take some relief down where we're filling ourselves up instead of the full feeling the fullness of our feelings. And so thank you for being an example of it and knowing we're living on life's terms. Mm-hmm. Our life terms, like I was talking about the Ukraine, this is happening. It's not not happening. You're losing your husband did not not happen. It happened. Your children losing their father did not not happen. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And so at this moment, and then you met your, you were at an event speaking because he's Mm -hmm. a firefighter and your current husband, your beloved is also a fighter fighter. (laughs) Yep. Tell us about that. I remember what you met him and then you didn't even like, oh, I'm not even in that. Oh, no, I'm looking for a date. No, I was not even remotely close to, I was, you know, I was busy raising two teenagers. <laughs> I was definitely not in the scope of even wanting to date. I was invited to speak at this firefighters event and he was there attending the event and, and we truly just crossed paths. And I still, to this day, cannot explain what happened inside of me because as I said, I had been with Ryan since I was 15. So I never even I never even like looked at another man to be like, oh, that's an option. Like, I didn't even know what that looked like. (laughs) So to, to explain like what I felt when I met my current husband, I, I, what's his name again? (laughs) His name is Michael Bolton. (laughs) That's how I remember your last name. I said, I'll never forget it. Michael. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Michael (laughs) Bolton. I definitely, uh, I did not forget that, but uh, it was, uh, it was overwhelming to meet him because I, I didn't really know what I was feeling, but it was something I had never experienced before. And it wasn't like a, you know, Ooh, that guy's so cute. It wasn't that it was just truly a magnetic pull that I had to him. And so naturally what I did was I ignored him the whole weekend because <laughs> that's what we do when we're scared, right? We just run away, <laughs> just run away from everything. And uh, that's, that's how we met him when he he's from Ireland. And so when he was safely back on the other side of the world, I sent him a message through social media and was just like, Hey, <laughs> so it's nice to meet you. And he, he just took charge of everything because you know, he knew I was a widow. He knew why I was there speaking, but he was just like, did you happen to notice that I liked you at camp? And at camp, that's what we called it. What kind of camp (laughs) was it? It was was actually, it's a Christian camp uh, in central California at Hume Lake. So a lot, a lot of like, you know, churches send their youth groups there for summer and stuff like that. So I always joke because I didn't grow up in a Christian home. So I always, I never got to go to youth camp when I was younger. This feels like youth camp. And then (sighs) the joke, right? I meet a boy at youth camp. (laughs) It's so ridiculous. But it's that that's how we met. And for a long time, a lot of the pushback that I got when I first was telling people about Michael was, wait, so, so you met him, but he lives in Ireland and you're, what is this online dating? What are you doing? And at first I was like, well, I don't know if this is even going to work. And I, I really thought that if Michael's only purpose in my life was to show me that I could open up and show me that I could love someone or be interested in someone, then I was okay with that. I was okay if that was his only purpose in my life. But that time, and actually I'm grateful for that distance because it allowed us to actually build a foundation that wasn't physical. You know, there it wasn't like, do I like him because we went on a fun date or do I like him because of who he is? All we could do was talk for hours. And so that's what we did. And we ended up just building this deeper connection because we were forced to just talk to each other. And when that's all you have, there's nothing to, couldn't take me to a movie to shut me up for a couple hours. It was like, nope, we just have to sit here and talk. And I I really am grateful for that because coming from a space where I had never dated, I had never known anyone outside of my husband. That was scary. And this like slow process of becoming a couple with Michael I don't think I would have done anything different. I don't, I don't wish that he would have been here. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that. I wouldn't have changed the way our relationship was created because I think I needed that to tiptoe into it. And oddly enough, within a week of him and I talking, I was in my specialist's 
home doing grief work on him because I was like, I'm feeling too much too fast and I have too much energy and I don't know what to do with this. And, you know, I had all these feelings because as I realized I was liking him, it was conflicting with feeling like, am I betraying my late husband? It was so much to take in. And the only way that I knew how to do it was to just, I, I got to, I got to do some work on this so I can clear my, my head and my space and figure out where my heart is actually sitting with this new information, you know, with this new person in my life. It was overwhelming. Oh, it sounds like it. And I'm so glad you took the time to recognize that something, lots of feelings coming, the mixed emotions, happy, 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 you know, and your bliss, your ex-husband, we have lots of ingredients that have happened in our lives, lots of experiences, love, loss, all that. And they're all intertwined in some way. So what did you discover while you were doing your grief work? When I was were you afraid about- at all to be in a relationship, just feeling so deep that, oh my God, I'll have loss? What if it goes away? What if this is all BS? What if, what was going on with you? What did you like? Did you have to do any forgiveness, apologies, significant events? I, I don't know. What, how did you, even doing grief work after you've done all the work with your husband and your ex-boyfriend, how do you do the with this kind of stuff? How do you work with grief recovery method in this kind of situation? Do you, you know, remember? I, I do because I actually still really utilize a lot of um, what I've, what I've learned. I, I still continually practice it because what I had noticed I was feeling when I met Michael, I was, my feelings were instantly very strong towards him. And I just wasn't sure if I was allowed to feel that, you know, it had been at this point, it was two and a half years since Ryan had died. And I just wasn't sure. Is there a rule for widows? Is this too soon? What do I do? You know, I had all of this stuff playing in my mind. Then came the fear of, but I really like him. And what if this doesn't work out? So now am I, I'm afraid of the heartbreak, the potential heartbreak that might be there. Then comes the fear of like, okay, but then if we do become something closer and stronger, then there's the fear of something happening to him, which is actually a fear that still sits with me today. And we've been married for two and a half years now. And it's still a fear that I actually just shared about it the other day. It's something it's changed me. You know, my trauma has changed me. And so the reason I continue to do the work is so that I can try to free myself from that fear that was created when my husband died five years ago. So there's all these mixed emotions. And even the day, a couple of days before Michael and I were set to get married, I, again, I had to do grief work on Ryan, on my late husband, because all of a sudden, you know, I was caught up in the excitement. I'm getting married again. My kids are happy. His kids were happy. This was just such a good, good time. And then all of a sudden I was in a target parking lot and I just broke down completely because in my happiness, I felt that sting of like, oh, but I told Ryan, I was never going to love another man. I told Ryan that, you know, it was going to be him and I forever. And so, but right, like maybe a day or two before the actual wedding, when I was supposed to be getting married, I had, uh, I caught myself in a target parking lot and I just completely broke down in the middle of this parking lot because I realized I had conflicting feelings. I hadn't resolved yet with my late husband, just meaning like, I was his wife. I was his wife for 16 years and we'd been together for 21 years. And now here I was about to promise myself to somebody else with the exact same vows, the exact same uh, commitment to another man. And so it was, it was a conflict that I had with myself, but with my late husband. And so I had to go and do work to clear that out so that I could move forward with my new husband and be in the moment with him. I think that was the biggest ticket for me was I wanted to be present in the moment as I'm marrying this new man and starting this new chapter of my life without having the heaviness of thinking about my late husband sitting on top of my shoulders, which is why I I had to do some work on that because I I didn't want to enter into something new carrying this with me. And it's heavy. It was a heavy, it was a heavy weight. Yeah. And let me ask you a question. This is very personal. I want people to know that when you've done, I'm bringing it up because you've done the grief recovery method. We talk about things. I don't want people to think, oh my God, they had this blissful marriage, even though mostly it was blissful. But beforehand, you do the works that you have to apologize for or forgive. 
And I know when I came into this relationship, I remembered my ex-husband was really bad with money, left a lot of things on my shoulders and lied to me. So going in, I have this thing like, is he going to lie to me? Is he going to have money issues? Is he going to have this? You know, all that fear. Did you have that? What? And you can name one or two things. You know, I don't want to pry into your personal. As I said, this podcast is like, let it out because people are going, this is reality. Oh, absolutely. Did you bring up anything that maybe you had some fears beforehand or things you had to resolve in your mind? And I know you forgave, you had apologies, you recognize significant events. Nobody's a devil all the way. Nobody's a saint. There's always in between. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah, absolutely. Before Ryan's accident, when I mentioned I had done the grief recovery method, I went in to do another relationship and I actually ended up grieving Ryan before he died because we did have a lot of issues in our marriage. Alcohol was a big presence in our marriage. I had my own money issues in our marriage. And so I had oddly enough had resolved that part of my marriage with Ryan before he died. But going into a new relationship, I did have those fears of alcohol being in my home, um, me even being uh, deceitful with money, you know, because I had a fear of being honest about money in my marriage with my late husband. And so I, I definitely had a lot of those fears just because we, I think we just tend to bring our experiences forward with us unintentionally. You know, it's not intentional. Michael had not given me any reason to believe that alcohol was going to be a problem in our home, but it was a conversation I needed to have with him about it because I I just needed to know. I needed to know for the sake of my kids, for the sake of me getting my heart deeper into that. I I had to openly share about things I had done in my first marriage. And it was because even him not going through something tragic, like a, a death, he'd have his own, we all have our own tragedies and our own traumas that shape us, but he needed to know also where I was safe for him. And so conversations had to be had and work had to be done in order for me to be able to leave my fears of, oh, okay, I'm, I, I don't want to project Ryan onto Michael, if that makes sense. And he didn't want to project his life onto me. And so the only way to be able to ensure that we don't do that is to be honest with conversations. And that's that's another scary thing, because then you're talking about opening up all those closet doors you know, that nobody knew about. But when you're entering into such an intimate relationship with someone, whether it's romantic or friendship, or we've been burned once, we, we do have a fear we're going to be burned again. And that's that's why we don't play with fire, right? <laughs> because we know it hurts. We don't want to do that. But yeah, we had to have we had to have conversations about that before we entered into our relationship the way that we did. That's beautiful. Did And for people who are listening, did you feel a sense of freedom? And the reason why, because it's like, it's okay to have those tough conversations, center yourself, but, and then get help. Cause we can't go through it all in this podcast. Cause we're almost done. But did you feel a sense of freedom in your relationship after that or series of conversation? How was it? Did it make the relationship fuller, freer? Tell us about your experience. Uh, freedom is such a good word for that because it, it is, it's freeing to know that your honesty has been put out there. And so there's no, your partner or your friend or whoever you're in this, in a relationship with doesn't have to wonder who you are, what you need, where you've been and what you expect when you can just have the conversations. And, you know, it's not to say that, well, this is what I've been through. So don't you ever do those things to me. That's not the purpose of the conversation. The conversation is to, I need to let you know where I've been so that you can either walk with me, you can choose to walk with me through this, you can choose to be part of this with me. And I think those important, those uh, conversations are so important for the purpose of freedom, because now I'm, I am free to be me. And when the, the moments of grief do come up, because they still do, when they come up, when a conversation comes up involving my late husband, when anything happens like that, there's such a freedom in just getting to be who I am because we had those difficult conversations in the beginning. And I think honesty and openness and vulnerability is there's a lot, there is a lot of power in that because it does give you the power to be who you are. And so often, especially, you know, my generation as well, like I wasn't taught to be open with my feelings and my brother was certainly taught that boys don't cry and all those sorts of things. 
So when we walk through life feeling like, well, I can't tell you how I feel because I'm not supposed to, or I can't share how this hurts me because it's going to hurt you, we end up locking ourselves into a little cubicle and we outgrow that, but we don't know how to just open up the box and keep growing upward instead of outward, trapped in a box like that. It's it's very freeing, very difficult to have the conversations, but the freedom that comes with that is so worth it. It's so worth it. My poor husband, he knows now. He knows I, I don't I don't like to keep things at a surface level. I will always go deep in a conversation. So he he knows this about me. He knows when I'm like, all right, I need to have a conversation or I, this came up and this is how I was feeling about it. Or I saw this and this is what it triggered in me. He knows he needs to get ready for about a 20 minute conversation with me. And it's like, but I, I have the freedom to do that because because we kind of set that up in the beginning. This is who I am. Yeah. And you didn't say you made me feel this way. Mm -hmm. You made me do that. It's like, this is how I am feeling. It's like, this is heart work. This is heart conversation. And the heart is in your center of your chest for a reason. It's not um, in your brain, even though you need your brain to communicate, (laughs) make sense instead of what? And I don't know. I just love, you're such a great example. So thank you of a relationship and a life well lived. And we're all human. And and I think what you're doing, and I know you speak to other people, which I love. And one thing, because I'd love to have your husband on the show. Oh, that would be so fun. Yeah. (laughs) What what makes him, because we have to end pretty soon. But what do you think about what is it in his makeup that he was such a loving presence in your life? And I don't want to say accepting because I can't think of the words. Why do you think he fits so well with hanging out with you at, when you talk about your <laughs> beloved first husband to, you know, being able to take your suitcase? I saw that picture. I think he was <laughs> your suitcase and he was supporting you through all of this. What do you think someone needs to be? to be able to have the strength to listen to you talk about an ex-husband. I think that, that truthfully, we, we've both been through so much. And the truth is all of us have gone through so much that shape us into who we are today. And I, I feel just from what he's actually shared with me that he felt I was the first person to really accept him as he is you know, with the flaws that he has, with the mistakes he's made in his past. And there was not any sort of judgment or correction coming from me. And so I really feel that allowing each other to have a safe place to just be who they are, that then helped him to allow me the safe place to be who I need to be. So it was kind of like setting an example at first, but not it wasn't intentional. It's just from what I've learned and what I know that I like to receive. I just kind of like treated him the way I want to be treated where I am now and what I've been through. But I really think that providing him with that space allowed him to then be that space for me as well. Because once he knew that I didn't, I didn't care what happened in the past and I didn't care who he was when he was 16. I just want to know this man that I've met now it just opened him up, I think, so much to see that we don't have to be what our past is and we don't have to live in what our past is. And that doesn't define who we are. It just shapes us. And I, so I think I really think being that for somebody else then t- comes full circle so that then they know they know how to be that for you. And it, it hasn't been perfect. You know, it, it definitely has not been perfect. There's been a lot we've had to learn together over the last couple of years that we've been married. But him going with me to that widow's retreat was probably the most significant because uh, he, you know, he honors my husband, my late husband. Well, he made sure to tell me and my kids don't take any of his pictures down in the house. He was very, very good to honor that. But I think like seeing him go through that widow's conference with me and offer to drive me and offer to, you know, if any other widows need a ride or if anyone else, you know, if I can be of service to anybody else who's in attendance there, I do believe that that is over work being done in the last two and a half years of just showing each other that we're going to be there for each other. And that presently who we are right now, that this is where we are and that everything that happened back here only brought us to this moment, but we don't live here. We don't live back here. I am Michael's wife. And that's for him. I needed him to know that. Like I'm, I am your wife. I'm Ryan's widow, but I'm your wife. And I don't belong to anybody else but you. And I think even for him hearing that pushes him even further to do things like escort me 
to the widows conference and be that safe place for me when I come back and I'm like, Oh, that was heavy. That was heavy. That was 250 widows in one room. I, I just need like a breather here. And he was like, just, so who'd you meet? What'd you guys talk about? That was amazing. He was a heart with ears. He's also gone through grief recovery method as well. So he's, he's learned a lot in how to be a listener for someone. Oh, that is so beautiful and a great way to end our <laughs> podcast. We're going to get him on, on the podcast. And uh, he would I, love it. <laughs> let me ask you a question because this is unique. Your current husband, what do I call your ex-husband? I don't like that. Is that the uh, correct term? My la- I, I just call my late husband. You're a late husband. Yeah. Big correction, listeners. <laughs> late husband. I was so into the story. I should have thought about that. <laughs> it's, it's a weird thing to think about, you know? Hey, <laughs> late late husband. Okay. That's what I'm going to remember from now on. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And can you tell us in the notes, we're going to talk, we're going to have your links for your podcast. Can you talk just about the three things and, and what, how people could reach you? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm very reachable on social media. I'm on, on it all the time. And my Instagram name, it's JJ Osler Bolton. Uh, so you can find me there. Uh, I also, I do have my podcast, which is Lavender Dahlia. Um, but that link is also on my Instagram. And then I do have my blog, which I've had for my late husband died. So you can read all about our life going way back, faithandfire.net. But it's all all the links to everything are on my my social media. I'm primarily on my social media account. Okay, awesome. And remember, it'll be in the notes. So thank you so much, Jennifer. I am so honored. And I hope our listeners, I know they appreciate you. And if you're ever writing a book, let us know. We'll get you back on. Oh, that would be so fun. Wait a minute. Thank you for having me, Charlene. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, everybody. We are on all the podcast platforms, at least most of them, and get to Grief Recovery Now private group on Facebook. Of course, this podcast, please share it. This is meant to be heard. This is meant to be embodied. So we can all live a life beyond our wildest dreams, fulfilled and walking in freedom. This is just for you. So signing off, we'll see you guys next time. Peace and love. Bye. Thank you for joining our Grief Recovery Now journey. Like what you heard? It would be the biggest compliment to our mission if you would please subscribe, rate, and review Grief Recovery Now on Apple Podcasts. And we'll keep you posted on our next podcast. If you don't have Apple, we are also on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now. And if you are in need of any personal attention, please contact me with the link on this podcast page, which is griefrecoverymethod.com forward slash GRMS forward slash Charlene dash Gorzella. It would be an honor to hear from you.